Hello and welcome to the Can't Make This Up History Podcast. I am your host Kevin and I want to wish you a very happy Halloween. My guest today is novelist and author J.W. Oker, whose book A Season with the Witch, The Magic and Mayhem of Halloween in Salem, Massachusetts, documents his experience moving to Witch City, USA for the month of October. Salem is, of course, the site of the famous witch trials of 1692, and Oker tells us about the tragedy that occurred there over 300 years ago and how the city handles and embraces that legacy today. Oker is a travel writer with a passion for the strange and weird. He runs a very active blog at oddthingsiveseen.com, and he also hosts his own podcast of the same name. For this special Halloween episode, I am also joined by a very special guest co-host, Jennifer, host of Haunted Happenstance. Haunted Happenstance is a creepy serial podcast set in a historic apartment in Boston, Massachusetts, full of unusual and spooky coincidences. When you are done listening to this episode, be sure to add both of their shows to your listening queue. As always, if you've liked what you heard here today, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating and a review. Those are incredibly helpful for getting the word out about the show. And if you've been enjoying the podcast and want to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash CMTU history. We have bonus episodes in the form of our spin-off series, Alternate Histories. We have cool ways to interact with the show and its programming, and merch and swag for you as well. Now on to the show. The You Can't Make This Up History Podcast. Bringing you strange but true things from the past. It's not the average history that you learned in school. We're bringing you the heroes and bringing you the fools. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the Can't Make This Up History Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. So I'm very glad to have you on. This has been a project that we've had in the works for a few months. Uh, You are the host of uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Haunted Happenstance. Uh, Can you tell listeners a little bit about your show? It is a serialized audio drama. It's a little quirky and creepy set of stories that are set in a historic residence um, here in Boston, Massachusetts. And in it, I chronicle some strange and spooky events surrounding my neighbors. And they just seem a little too eerie to be coincidence. And so we explain them as haunted happenstance. So I enjoy listening to it because like you said, it's it's creepy, it's eerie. How do you come up with these things? (laughs) So I like to describe the show as (laughs) semi-autobiographical. That's because some of the things that I talk about have happened or resemble things that have happened. And so I have had some spooky things happen, um, both in the building where I live and other times. And so I draw some inspiration from that. And then I envision how could it have been even more scary? And then I just write that part too. So it's fictionalized, but um, there's some basis in, in, in truth in it. And I just keep adding more characters to, to make it never stop. Now, I know that for you, Halloween is kind of a way of life. How did you get into your interest in the paranormal? Um, So when I was younger, I I did have some experiences um, along with my family, um, namely my mom and my gram. And I didn't actually know it was 
odd. I just kind of thought that was normal. So it wasn't even paranormal. And so I've always been sort of intrigued by ghosts and things that are spooky and inexplicable. And Halloween embodies that. And if you can stretch an amazing holiday for an entire year, like that's a great thing to do. So yeah, I just, I like all those things. I think there's some fun in the spookiness and the element of mystery. And it's, you know, pretty harmless most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, I share your interest in the paranormal. A lot of the podcasts I listen to are like that. A lot of the TV shows. Uh, and I'm I'm ashamed to say, though, I've never had a paranormal experience. Do you feel like you're missing out, or do you feel like you're okay with that? <laughs> I'm okay with that, I think, because um, I feel like it would it would freak me out and it, if I did. Um, but on some level, yeah, maybe, maybe missing out, because I know plenty of people who have. I, I think if I had not had an experience until I was an adult, and I had sort of you know, the world's view that people do at this age, I probably would have been scared to death. But because I was experiencing things earlier on in life, and I didn't know that it wasn't, like I said, the the average thing to do, I never associated any fear with it. So I can appreciate that. I think, likewise, if I saw an alien tomorrow, I'd probably be pretty freaked out, because I'm convinced that there are no such thing as aliens. (laughs) And if I saw one, I'd be like, oh my god, (laughs) I'm gonna rethink all this. See, I would be super excited if I met an alien. So here's what we'll do. If I'm, I come, I'm a space nerd. If I run into an alien, I will call you up, and you can take care of that for me, because <laughs> I'm <laughs> all set with aliens. <laughs> yes, and if I find a, go- a ghost, you'll be the first person I call. I will, I will help you out with that. <laughs> this is not an invitation to the ghost to come introduce themselves. <laughs> or the aliens, for the record. <laughs> all right, so, so the book that we're... Um, talking about today uh, is, and you recommended this to me, so thank you. Uh, You're welcome. A Season with the Witch, The Magic and Mayhem of Halloween in Salem, Massachusetts by J.W. Ocker. Um, you live pretty close to Salem. You've been to Salem. Uh, tell me a little bit about what it's like to go to Salem. What's been your experience there? So I've had a pretty wide range of experiences in Salem, and I think that that speaks pretty much to how all experiences are there. It's a city that is so steeped in history. It has a lot of maritime. It has literally coasts. There's a living witch community. People go there to have fun. People go there to be creepy. Um, There's just, there's so much going on there. um, And that's reflected in in how you feel when you visit. Um, People there have a great sense of what what historically has happened there. People are intrigued, but also, you know, they're respectful of the area. Um, my first experiences were when I was a kid and I couldn't really appreciate it. It was, it was scary as a kid, not, not the city, right? The city is beautiful, but it's, it's like Halloween town, right? So walking down the streets of Salem is seeing cobblestones and mansions and people dressed as goblins and vampires and jumping out from behind buildings. So that's a little surreal, but I also think it's real. That's really what Salem is like. So my experiences in Salem have been amazing and every one has been different than the other. And that's why I keep going back because I know the next time will be, you know, unlike any of the others and and maybe even more fun. Yeah. I've, I've always wanted to go there. I've I've been to Boston a few times and could never convince anybody to to let me go up to Salem, but uh, I hope to make it there one day. And you're, no, you're definitely you... selling it. No, you have to go. I think don't go in October. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> definitely no. go. I, I I feel like I tell that to everybody. Like it's not Boston. It's nothing like Boston, but it's it's so intriguing as a city. I feel like it's a it's a bucket list kind of thing you gotta do. You gotta see Salem. Yes, definitely on the bucket list. If someone wanted to put your podcast on their bucket list of things to listen to, uh, where can they go and find Haunted Happenstance? Uh, we're located wherever you get your podcasts. So iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, etc. Um, we're on Patreon. Wherever you want to listen to some good spooky tales, you'll find us. <laughs> and you're currently trending uh, in the top 25 in fiction on iTunes, yes. right? <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for co-hosting. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. J.W. Ocker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And Jennifer from Haunted Happenstance, welcome as well. Thank you so much for having me on as well. Well, I'm uh, very excited to have both of you here for a special Halloween edition uh, of the show. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, your book um, on Salem, Massachusetts. So um, I guess for starters, um, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So uh, I'm an author. I write um, mostly nonfiction, a little bit of fiction, but um, a lot of nonfiction where I visit strange, weird, and spooky places, and then I write about them. Um, and which is uh, the, the Salem book, A Season with the Witch. I spent the entire month of October living in October and writing about that city. So that's kind of my connection there uh, to Salem's. So, and, and how did you decide that you want to go live in Salem, Massachusetts for a month? <laughs> so I, I've always kind of been a fan of Salem, just as a visitor, you know, once in October or whatever that, or whatever. And I had just finished my last book, which was um, Poland, which I, I spent a year visiting sites connected to Edgar Allan Poe. And for that book, I was all over the place. I was in six or seven different states. I was in England. I was all up and down the East Coast. So trying to figure out a way I could still do a travel log without actually having to do a lot of travel. And the idea just hit us one day, because again, uh, we go to Salem a good bit, that why don't we just do a book about Salem, move there, and then you know there's no travel involved. You just step outside your door and you're doing research, basically. So it's a stay log. Exactly, no, it's exactly what it was. It was just me in a house, you know, my, me and my family in a house, and every once in a while I would interview people and go see attractions and historical sites. But mostly I just had a lot of fun in Salem and got to write about it. Um, so for the one person out there who, when we say Salem Witch Trials, they have no idea what we're talking about. Um, can you briefly describe the, the witch incident that occurred in Salem? And, um, and then tell us some of the, the biggest misconceptions we have about that in popular culture. Sure, sure. So I'll try to encapsulate it into really something really short here for you. <laughs> so 1692, that's the year, a hysteria took over the residents of Salem and Salem Village, and 19 people were, hang- were accused of being witches, literal servants of Satan, supernatural, flying around on brooms and turning into animals witches. They were convicted in a court of law and then hanged uh, right there in Salem proper. Um, it's... And that's the trials in a nutshell. 19 innocent people hanged for being something um, that most people don't believe in. And of course, that um, turned into a huge part of American culture, a huge metaphor, uh, even worldwide culture. People talk about the Salem witch trials. And uh, it's, been a, it's just been a touchstone for more than, you know, for about 400 years. That's how long ago it was, and we're still talking about it today. As far as misconceptions go, there's probably a ton. Um, 
the biggest one, I think the, 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 well, the smallest one that people always seem to get close to wrong is um, which is being burned. That's something that happened in the European witch trials. In all of the uh, North American witch trials or the Northeastern witch trials, uh, victims were hanged on gallows or by trees. They were never burned at the stake. Uh, it's a very, again, European and slash horror movie thing. Um, I think the other misconception is that it's, it's one of the you know biggest witch trials out there. It's why we talk about it so much. And the truth is, it's not the biggest. Uh, it's not the first. It's not the last. It's really kind of not you know, in the context of all witch trials, it's not wholly unique, uh, which is really terrifying, obviously, but it's for some reason, and well, for a lot of reasons that are inter intertwined and intertangled, it's become the witch trial to talk about when we talk about uh, witch trial history and use it as metaphors and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, when I read that, that you know, it's not the, the last witch trial in, in North America, I did a little digging and, and found that there, was, there were even witch trials here in, in my state of Ohio, which I didn't know before. Yeah, I mean, it happened a lot. I mean, to put, put some perspective around that, the first witch, the first witch victim in the, in the United States, um, or actually not the United States at the time, obviously it was a lot earlier than that, um, was in Connecticut. And they stopped hanging people for witchcraft probably five decades before Salem even started. Boston, same with Boston. They were done hanging probably about 10 years before Salem even started. And of course, European witch trials were like centuries before that. So it was kind of old news by the time Salem got around to it. And again, Salem wasn't even the last stop for this kind of hysteria. So it's it's really interesting how those Salem witch trials have, begun, have become, you know, the witch trials, capital W, capital T, um, because it's not really anything intrinsic to the event. Now, my sole frame of reference on this is Monty Python, but did they throw them in the river to see if they would float? Nope, that's another European thing. Okay. <laughs> Europeans did a lot of stuff over there. Their witch trials were pretty vast as well. I mean, they had some that spanned decades and hundreds of thousands of innocent victims were uh, were executed for being witches. So they had some pretty massive, uh, massive witch trials going on. Again, compared to our, you know, Salem witch trials with their 19 hanged victims plus, you know, old gals Corey getting pressed to death. Was he the only exception to the hangings? Yeah, so some people, so the, 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 the there were other deaths around the hangings, but the only people officially executed by the state were those 19 hanging victims. Giles Corey was killed by the state, but as a part of the kind of um, torture investigation, for lack of a better term. Um, so he was killed. He never, he, never got, he never got convicted. He never admitted to anything. He was just pressed to death as a result of them trying to get that interrogate him and get that answer out of him. Also, some people died in the prison systems. There were hundreds of people accused of witch trials all over the North Shore, uh, not just in Salem, but all over the, the towns and communities around them. And some people died in prisons. There were terrible prison conditions. Uh, a couple of animals died. People thought they were witches in, you know, animal guys, and those those animals were killed. So a lot of um, uh, collateral damage as well, besides just the, the pure, you know, execution of 19 innocent victims. So the, this trial... Um not the the be all end all of, of witch trials, but it's also not the end of Salem's history. Um, what what else did Salem do throughout history? Oh, this, this is a really good point. And I'm glad you brought this up. So, the witch trials took place, like I said, in 1692. Salem itself was established around 1630, so it's been around for a few decades. 
But the witch trials only lasted for a few months, and Salem is almost 400 years old, so Salem did a lot besides, you know, go crazy and kill innocent people. <laughs> they they were one of the, yeah, I mean, for some reason, that's what we all know them as, even though, again, it was a few months of Something 40 years, that's what we know happen. them as. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> so. exactly. One of the oldest, one of the oldest communities in the in the um, in the country, certainly. So they also did some pretty good things, uh, besides the bad things, like everybody. But they were the um, number one uh, maritime port in the United States for a very long time. They plotted out most of the routes to uh, uh, Asia, all the Asian routes, mostly plotted by Salem maritime people, Salem sea captains. It, they were so successful at it, in fact, that um, the first millionaire. The first millionaire in America was in Salem, and he was a merchant captain. So a lot of rich people. If you go down to Salem today, there's a lot of old sea captain mansions that, again, very wealthy people made, very wealthy captains made their entire fortunes off of the maritime trade. So they were huge there for a while. Uh, that ended up dying. Um, they were also big in the leather industry for a while. That ended up dying. They had an entire, entire um, pr uh, production lines in Salem. They were the home of Parker Brothers. Uh, the Parker Brothers themselves were Salemites. Uh, so they had that going for them. So Ouija boards were made in Salem and Nerf was made in Salem. But uh, that went the way of manufacturing small towns and cities. So they did a lot. They had a lot of um, history. Even the Revolutionary War almost started in Salem. Had, they, had there been, um, there was this one moment called Leslie's Retreat where there's a standoff between uh, British soldiers and the people of Salem. Mm -hmm. And had that gone awry, um, fortunately the people, of, the people of Salem did some pretty smart things uh, to avoid that war or to avoid that confrontation. If they hadn't, though, that battle would have started. That battle would have been the shot heard around the world, as, as opposed to what happened in Lexington and Concord a little while later. So Salem's right there in the middle of all of our colonial history. Uh, we just kind of forget about all that because they also hang witches. <laughs> and uh, they've also contributed to um, America's literary history. Uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne was from there. Yeah, good point. Nathaniel Hawthorne, not only was he from there, he lived most of his life there. So there are buildings today all over the city that are connected to him and monuments. And he is um, another reason why Salem, as the witch trial place, got big because all of his works are pretty much drenched in just social guilt, just guilt over what <laughs> what Salem and the and people have become as a result of their kind of the crimes of their forebears. So he's uh, kind of like the PR guy you don't want <laughs> when you're in a city, but he was one of the founding fathers of American literature and one of the most important voices back then. So. Another kind of feather in their cap that you don't always get to hear about uh, is Nathaniel Hawthorne. I have a quick side question for you. Sure. Is, is there a chapter where he is not mentioned? <laughs> <laughs> it's, really it's really no, hard. No, I think it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I, when I say that he's entwined in that city, he is completely entwined in that city. Um, he, he, he was born there. He met his wife there. He worked there at the Customs House. The Scarlet Letter is based on um, his time there at the Customs House, which still stands to this day. They have artifacts there. There's a statue of Nathaniel Hawthorne. He is such a part of that city. I always say that if they hadn't have been Witch City, they could easily have been Hawthorne City and still done pretty good with literary tourism. So he's he's inextricable from that city. He can, it's hard to like uh, sideline or get out of the way. Like, get out of the way so we can talk about witches. He's right there in that conversation too. In fact, I'll tell you this. And, Probably a lot of people know this, but he's actually a relative of one of the witch trial villains, uh, Judge Hathorne. And the story is that in Judge Hathorne's grave, you can actually see in downtown Salem. It still exists. The headstone's there. Um, and the story is that Hawthorne, Nathaniel Hawthorne, was so kind of disgusted by the his lineage, as far as that goes, that he changed his name from Hathorne to Hawthorne. Stuck a W in there. 
the truth of it of that is kind of debated. <laughs> he might have literally just been tired of people mispronouncing his name, so he changed it. But he has a definite connection, to a direct blood connection to the crimes of the witch trials, which is another reason why he couldn't quite get away from it in his own writings. Right. He, he feels, you know, kind of personally connected to that guilt, as you said. Yeah, exactly. In The House of Seven Gables, one of his most famous novels, that house still exists and is in Salem today. You can tour it. So again, completely, it's more, it's honestly more Hawthorne stuff happened in the city than witch stuff. The only real witch stuff that happened in, in Salem proper was just the trials. Like all the actual kind of stuff leading up to the trials happened next door in what's now Danvers. So it really is a Hawthorne city if they wanted to be that. Yeah, th- that's what I thought was really interesting. The the actual, the, the, the incident itself doesn't even happen in Salem. Yeah, it happened in uh, what what is called Salem Village, which is basically the sticks. So Salem was kind of divided back then into the maritime world, the maritime city, which was right on the water, very prosperous. You know, they could send out ships and just bring back gold or pepper, which is worth its weight in gold back then. And then the out, the outskirts of the town, five miles from the city center, was all the farmland. This was Salem Village. This was like hard work. These people were poor. They couldn't even get their own preacher for a long time. They were right there in the wilds, right on the edge of the woods, which was full of animals. And full of, you know, Native Americans who were obviously salty for good reasons for having kind of the uh, uh, colonial invaders there. They were scared of demons. This was a Puritan people, so they were scared of monsters hiding out in the, in the darkness. It was um, a very tenuous part of Salem. And that's one of the reasons why it started there. I mean, the, the, the two, you know, young girls who kind of started the whole thing were in that world. Uh, and it was a scary world. And you can kind of see why it would bubble up, bubble up there as opposed to Salem proper, which was full of just people getting richer and richer and not having a real reason to upset kind of any social order with, you know, uh, with with witch accusations. And today, I should say, today Salem Village is now Danvers. It's a whole separate city or a whole separate town from Salem. So they're two different places now. Now, is that because um, the village didn't want to be associated with Salem any further? Uh, yeah, I think their entire history, they didn't want to be a part of Salem. They wanted their own because they had to do a lot of stuff for Salem proper, like sending in um, people to be security people. So they'd have to do their duty in town when they would rather be out kind of protecting their own farmland. They had to go to church in Salem for the longest period of time. So I think from the start, they always wanted to be separate from Salem. And it just took, you know, I think 200 years for that to actually happen. Uh, Danvers finally kind of separated itself and then renamed itself after um, nobody knows where they got the name. They think it's pretty random, but they just didn't they did just didn't want to be Salem. They wanted to be something else entirely. So how do um, museums in Salem uh, interpret this history? Um, because I, I, I know it's a challenge dealing with um, difficult topics for museums. You know, kind of the, the most famous cases are, are how do you interpret slavery or how do you interpret the well, Holocaust? How, how does Salem deal with that? Salem deals with that, I think, by not actually dealing with that, honestly. Um, There is no official kind of history museum in Salem. There's no kind of local history museum. Um, They have a visitor center, um, and they have a gigantic art museum. This art museum, the Peabody Essex Museum, when I was living there, was the ninth largest art museum in the country by area, by size. And they just unveiled a new wing of this, like this year. So they're huge. But they don't deal with Salem either. They deal with only with art and international culture. The only people really telling the st- story of Salem in Salem are the ghost tours and the attractions. Um, you can go to any attraction and you'll get some form of the witch history or the, the trials history. But no official source, no kind of vetted scholarly academic um, you know, 
publicly funded place is telling the story at all, which I think is a little bit of a, a miss for Salem, but um, it, and one of the reasons why the story is with the attractions, because nobody else is telling it, so the attractions might as well. But obviously, you know, the attractions have a different interest than history um, for good reason. They're trying to, you know, run a business. So it, it's a big hole in Salem's culture right now that they don't have that history. For comparison, they do have um, a, a National Historic Park dedicated to the maritime history. So they have kind of that being safeguarded, but they just don't have anybody kind of telling the true story of the witch trials to, to anybody that wants to know. So that, that's surprising to me because if if I went and, you know, I've been to Boston, but I unfortunately couldn't convince anybody in my family to go up to Salem with me. Um, but if <laughs> if I went, you know, I would be looking for that historical museum and I'd kind of be bypassing the more cheesy, hokey, horror themed stuff. Yeah, they're just not there. And I don't know why, honestly. I do know part of the reason why most of the artifacts left over from the witch trials, and there are some, like physical artifacts, documentation, is held by the Peabody Essex Museum. So they do have those. They just don't want them out in the public because that's just not what they're... That's not their priority. Their priority is to be an international museum and not to be a local history museum, which is basically what the Salem witch trials would be in Salem. That'd be local history. So, yeah, they just don't have it. And... Uh, it is, I think it's surprising as well. I think in the past they have had it, um, back when the Peabody Essex Museum wasn't an international art museum, but they just haven't had anybody really put that together yet. I think at some point they will. I think it's inevitable. I hope it's inevitable, but there's just nobody that kind of has the funding and the means and the drive to make that happen yet, I don't think. So if they're not making what really happened in part of their history, part of the attraction, they're obviously doing a lot to attract some tourism. Um, and I imagine that tourism is an impar- important part of what makes Salem, Salem. Can you talk about how they've developed an approach that's pretty unique, considering their city is pretty unique? <laughs> yeah, their tourism is, is interesting. I, I uh, hit on earlier that um, they've lost industry after industry over the centuries. But the one thing that's kept them afloat is tourism. People want to go to the side of the witch trials. Um, so they've been kind of capitalizing on that probably as early as the 19th century. There were there's a local jeweler who would make collectible spoons with witches on them. There were businesses calling themselves, you know, Witch City and using the witch as a logo. And that's kind of been a faithful industry for them, uh, just a really faithful industry. So there's most of the stuff you see in Salem today, the attraction wise, are probably 70%, maybe 60 to 70% built around that. So you have the Salem Witch Museum, you have the Witch Dungeon Museum, you have the Witch Museum. <laughs> so you have like four or five, they're all attractions, they all call themselves museums. When you go to Salem, the word museum is very wiggly, so you have to kind of be <laughs> a little bit careful of that. <laughs> but every they have four or five different quote-unquote witch museums that are all attractions, and they're all kind of confusingly named and stuff. So that's a lot of their tourism is that, but the other 40% is Halloween and monsters. So you go there, and they have... Um, you know, they have a Halloween museum, they have a Count Orlock's Monster Museum, they have haunted attractions, they have all of that stuff as well. Um, so that's a big part of their tourism day. People go in October, not even really to know about the witches, they go to have a Halloween party. Because Halloween, obviously, over the past decade, two decades, has become huge. I saw a stat that last year, or it's either last year or this year, they are believed that Halloween is $8.8 billion um, yeah. in, in America, which is huge. Wow. Um, second second biggest holiday as far as the industry goes. It's not as huge as Christmas, which is like, I think, $1 trillion or something. Or like all holidays in November and December together are like $1 trillion. But eight, $8.8 billion is a lot of candy and plastic bags, you know. So 
it's a, a huge thing. And Salem has become not just which city, it's become kind of Halloween, a Halloween headquarters as well. So that, that has been also been a huge boost to tourism over the past decade. How oh, they're breaking records on Salem. Oh, they're breaking records every year. Um, so the the act. So let me give you a little bit about Salem itself. So it's about eight square miles, but most of the downtown is only like I don't know ten blocks, very small. And the entire entire city of Salem is about forty thousand people, which is small. I mean, to put that in context, I live in Nashua, which nobody's ever heard about, and it's eighty thousand people. So Salem is half of that. And every year, though, on Halloween, they they. They more than double their size. There's like a hundred thousand people, more than a hundred thousand people that come to Salem, Salem for just Halloween. I think over the course of a month, it's a lot bigger than that, close to a million. And again, they're all stuffed downtown. They're not spread out across those eight square miles. They're just you know in that downtown sector on East, on the Essex Street pedestrian mall, uh, by the old burying ground, by the bay, by the uh, harbor there. So that is packed. So if you go there on a weekend in October. You're gonna be, you know, elbowed in the eye by Frankenstein and tripping over, you know, witches' hymns and stuff. It's it is a kind of a mob scene there. <laughs> but they've sort of monopolized on that, and now they sort of do a month-long celebration, which I think you talk about a lot in your book. It's haunted happenings. Um, what was your experience like with that? It, it's interesting. So haunted happenings is like exactly what you said. It's a month-long Halloween party. So starting October first. Um, all the attractions are open. Everything is going full blast. They have special events and theaters. All the restaurants are decorated. There's a million things to do every day in Salem from October 1st, October 31st. And uh, it didn't wasn't always that way. I think the first time they tried a haunted happenings, it was for a day, and it was a huge success. This was back in the 80s, I want to say. Second time, the second year they tried it, they did a weekend, and they went to a week, then they went to two weeks, and now they're at a month. And honestly, these days they're spilling over. September is generally, even though it's not officially haunted happenings. Everything that you can get in October is generally there in September, minus some of the events, um, and it's a year-round city. So, it's I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, so, I, 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 since obviously my experience was kind of as an outsider living there for only 31 days, um, I got the best the best of both worlds with without having to actually have any detract detractments. <laughs> um, I live when I say I live downtown, I lived literally downtown. I could walk to everything, so I didn't have to drive into the city or drive out of the city, which can be really impossible on October weekends. Um, we met people who had to move out. They just couldn't take October. They couldn't take their streets getting blocked off. They couldn't take their exit, taking an hour to get from their exit to their house, which is only a mile away off the exit. It is um, really, really <laughs> big. Um, but it's fun. There's so much stuff going on down there, from you know Halloween events to historical events around the witch trials and colonial history to the big presence of the religious witches. Obviously, there's a, we haven't talked about that yet, but there's obviously there's a lot of religious witches there. And they're doing a ton of events, a ton of um, rituals. And they're allowing the public in, and they're doing all kinds of that kind of stuff. So the way I put it into context is that the Salem Parade, the Halloween Parade, is like the first weekend <laughs> of the month. So they're, they're ready for Halloween like right away, where the rest of us usually, or most people are waiting till October 31st, but they're ready to go right away. You just touched on um, the religious witches, or what some people will call the real witches of, of the area and what it's like to live there today in that town as a member of that community. It's also changed a lot over the last few decades. What was the most interesting or intriguing thing you learned through those interviews? Oh, so what I, what I really learned about that is how much it's changed, uh, how much the witches have changed in Salem. Um, so we always think, th those of us who are outside that know about you know, Salem's reputation for real witches, we always kind of think that um, they're kind of a, you know, um, an oppressed 
oppressed religious group, honestly. Uh, a lot of uh, street preachers, a lot of people not liking what they do. Um, it's a very obvious religion. Like you, you, you know, you can't hide being a witch, really, if you're all out because of the, the outfits and the rituals and stuff. And historically, they have not been welcome anywhere in the country, really, and not definitely not in Salem. But these days, um, not only are they more welcome than anything, they are, um, they've influenced kind of how welcoming Salem is. Salem is really welcoming to all kind of walks of life now. Uh, and every kind of, you know, idea, philosophy, what, whoever you are, Salem wants you there. And I think part of that is them kind of learning to live with the religious witches. But meanwhile, <laughs> those witches have kind of changed as well. Because once upon a time, if you were in Salem, you were in the witch place, the one witch place in the entire country where you could walk around in full robes and hats and whatever you wanted to do. But these days, obviously, um, uh, the witch religion, the Wicca, different Wicca religions are way more accepted across the country. Not everywhere, obviously, but way more accepted. So you can be a witch generally anywhere, and with the internet, you can find other witches. So it's really, Salem used to be the only place you could go to be a witch. Today, it's more like the, the Mecca, right? You go there because that, that's where kind of witchery started in America, really. Uh, but you can go anywhere and be a witch. So what you kind of have is, you know, a lot of covens there are in a different place, right? They're not, Salem's not as, as important to modern witchcraft. And there's a lot of different covens. Wicca is kind of a really malleable religion. And most people kind of make their own version of it. So you have a kind of a lot of infighting and jostling among people. And obviously there's a, there's a fame component too, because if you're, you know, if you're a famous witch in Salem, you're getting all the press every October. You're getting a lot of kind of, um, a lot of, um, uh, push for your business. A lot of witches run businesses in Salem and they're usually witch shops and, and spell shops and that kind of thing. So in many ways they've, they've, they've grown into a really legit force, but they're also kind of, you know, dealing with all the modern kind of, um, problems with that as well. But I like them. I interviewed probably, I want to say over a dozen witches, uh, from different covens and different shops and different, different histories with Salem. And they were all a blast. They were just a <laughs> lot of fun to learn about. They're all really open with what they believed and showing me things. And uh, I got to do, I think, 12, 11 or 12 different types of readings um, as well. So it was, I had a lot of fun with them. They were, uh, they could have been a whole book by themselves, honestly. I know that one of the witches that you interviewed, she said that, you know, because things had gotten sort of, it was so much, so much more widespread now, she was actually concerned with like maintaining a legacy of, you know, what they had gone through and, and what they wanted to see their own religion be maintained as. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really, um, I don't think that's something most of us would, would often think about, especially there in quote unquote, which city. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good point. Because if you think about their history, I mean, it all started with Lori Cabot. And obviously she was just there to make a life. She wasn't there kind of making a legacy. She didn't have people kind of recording or, you know, really kind of any historian. And then like I mentioned, it's a very individualistic religion. You can really kind of make your own path depending on what you believe or what kind of uh, tradition you want to um, join. So you don't really have a central, you know, like the Catholic Church has a central kind of kind of see. They don't have this. So they don't have anybody that can kind of tell the story of how, you know, how witches became, um, you know, how they've grown in modern America. They just don't have that. And that is a real kind of problem. Uh, it really should be kind of recorded and saved and all these, all these kind of witches went through a lot over the past, you know, couple of dec few decades. So, it's a fascinating story, and it really is kind of a shame that there's not somebody there chronicling all those experiences and putting them into like a, a narrative that anybody else could access, and that their kind of future forebears and future kind of adherents could also access as well. Yeah, I feel like that counters against 
the fictional witches that have now become tied to the city. And I know you chat about that, like whether it's, you know, part of fiction or television or just media in general and how that isn't necessarily all that welcome in Salem, <laughs> that they've now got this attributed sense of uh, sensationalism with them. Yes, yeah. So they, they're constantly fighting against that as well. So they go out of their, of their shop and they look at the street sign uh, and there's an old crone, you know, on a, on a broomstick, you know, green face, board on the nose, like caricature of a witch. And they're like, that's not us, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's a little bit kind of, um, I don't know. It, it's a, well, it's that's a even the city symbol, right? Yeah, exactly. When they, if you go to the high school, the the high school, they're they're witches. That's that's the mascot, and the mascot is an ugly monster. It's one. It's a Halloween witch. It's not any other kind of witch, and they're constantly having to see that. Every parade they have, every October, early October, the the marching band's there, and there's a witch mascot with green face and like a big big boil on the nose and scraggly hair, and they have to look at that and say, you know, that's that's also a witch, but it's not my witch, and that's that's a that's a really interesting thing about Salem. When, when you say witch city. The definition of witch in which city is is kind of not defined. It's 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 three different types of witches technically, right? It's those religious witches that we just talked about, because you know that they're the center of that. It's the cartoon witch, because again they're Halloween city, so that's also the witch in which city. Uh, and then it's the the historic witches, those those victims that weren't actually witches. That's also a part of witch city. So if you you have these three different kinds of witches, and those three witches don't really live well together. Uh, they don't really live well together at all, and yet all of them have to be kind of represented by this, again, silhouette of a, of a old crone on a broom uh, as their kind of, you know, namesake witch for the city. So it's a fascinating kind of thing that one word, the word witch, can have so many permutations and conflict and mean so much for the city, both from a tourist angle, but then internally provides so much kind of turmoil and conflict. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an amazing city because of that, honestly. I don't understand all of it, and, and that's great. But the, the, the second I understand all of it, it's going to be a boring city. But it's it's I don't think it's understandable. It's just something none of us really have experience with and nobody can really untie. And like I said, I, don't, I hope they don't untie it. So how do um, Salemites, the, the 40,000 people that, that live there year round, how do they feel about uh, what their city has become? The, the <laughs> tourism and the, the Wurtz trial legacy and the Wicca community. Um, what, what's their take on all this? I think I think it's, it's, it's split. I think there are a lot of residents who hate it. I think they hate it just for the the bother of it. Like, why why do I lose my city for a month of the year? Why can I not go downtown in the middle of a Saturday? Um, why can't I leave my street? Why do I have to take an alternate route? There's a legit gripe about that. So there's those guys, there's those people that then also think it's a travesty, not just the an inconvenience, but the fact that this whole thing can be traced back to a legit, you know, heart-rending tragedy of this, you know, this this hysteria and the 19 victims. So they have a real, you know, valid problem with that, a moral problem. There are people that welcome it, people that love being different. Um, because without the, I always say this, but without the witch trials, without witch city, then Salem would just be another kind of lobster and lighthouse place on the North Shore. There's a million of those, you know, Gloucester, Ipswich, Marblehead. Those are all kind of the same city, honestly, as far as tone-wise goes. Uh, and Salem would just be another one of those. But because they have this witch history and this conflict, they are a unique city. And some people do take pride in that. But I do think it might be changing. And this is a total guess, a total just kind of, um, off the top of my head, but I think it might be changing toward people not liking it as much. Um, more people not liking it as much because Salem is becoming uh, more and more a Boston suburb. So the, there's a train that they that they a station that I think they refurbished or built like just a few years ago. That's a 20 minute ride to Boston and really cheap. Um, 
So what's happening is a lot of people who work in Boston can't live in Boston because it's expensive, like every city. So they go farther and farther out. And right now, Salem is in this golden period where real estate's really high valued. People are buying houses and apartments there and, and then commuting to Boston every day to work. So it's becoming, um, I guess, gentrified is the word people use for that. But and that means those people are, you know, they're not there for witches and they're not there for inconvenience. They're there because they can have a nice house within community distance of their their work downtown. So those people are less vested in the history or in having to make a living. A lot of people that make their living with the witches, the tour guides and the shop owners uh, and the and the witch shops, actually, they need that legacy. They need that kind of strangeness. Um, but most of the residents don't. So, so it, it's I think it's turning more toward um, they'd rather have nice restaurants than themed shops, if that makes sense. Or traffic every day. <laughs> yes, traffic every day. So, Again, lo you lose your entire city for a month. It is, was, it is a yeah. unique situation. For people who haven't had the experience, because I think that's the right word, of driving into Salem, it's really one road in and out, sort of. And so when that happens and these you know, 80,000 people come into the city for an October weekend or Halloween day, it's not just, oh man, this is a little bit of traffic. Like it's it's like devastating to the to the movement and to just everything that's happening in the city and around it. It is. If you follow their Twitter, the civic Twitter accounts in Salem, you'll see like every you know, every weekend on, on in October, Saturday at ten AM, they'll be like, All right, all parking garages are now officially full. Please train in if you have to come. So I mean it's it's a legit logistic night nightmare. I've been there before where I've just showed up in the middle of the day on a Saturday and I had to wait for two hours for parking. I had to wait for the parking garage to fill empty enough that they'd let people in again. So, I mean, it's not it's not a, not even really a hyperbole to say that it is a mess in October as far as um, basic logistics. But it, it, it is definitely that. Maybe this is why I couldn't talk my dad into going up to Salem. <laughs> <laughs> but now you can just take the train. You just hop into a train. It's really easy. 20 minutes and you're there. And it, the train station is right downtown. So the second you stop out, step out, you're like in the party. So it's really easy nowadays to do it. What happens to the city November through September? Um, used to be, used to be, it would shut down. Um, all the spooky shops would close, all the attractions would close. Once upon a time, the only year round things there were the House of Seven Gables. They would stay open year round. And then the Salem Witch Museum, the, the pointy one on the common by the, uh, the founder statue. Those two would stay, stay up year round, but everybody else would shut down. It was just a ghost town. Um, but I would say in the past, even five years, that has changed. Nowadays, you can go any month and you're in a city. They have a, a, a thriving restaurant scene. They have festivals every single month. There are, it's a, a big tourist place now, and a lot of residents there. Um, even the spooky places are starting to stay open year round now. Uh, they might take a break off in November and December because they're just exhausted <laughs> after October. But those places are open year round. You can have the Salem experience uh, in June. You can have the Salem experience in May. It's, it's become a much bigger, more productive year round city. All right, so I know that uh, Jennifer, whose podcast is Halloween all year round, has one <laughs> question she wants to ask you. It's a very <laughs> selfish question, so I apologize in advance, um, but it's sort of a must-ask. So Salem is clearly a place steeped in history and some dark history, and you spent a month living there. Did you have any paranormal or ghostly experiences on your own? All right, you ready for this answer? I am ready for it. <laughs> All right. I did not have a single paranormal experience. 
But I will caveat that by saying I have never had a paranormal experience, unfortunately. I'm bitter about that. I'm not I'm not bragging. I'm very so bitter about that. We can't blame Salem, per se. <laughs> no, Salem is actually – I even investigated that a good bit because I do love the stories. I love ghost stories. And I love kind of all the all the things that come around ghost stories, the people that um, look, for, look for ghosts and the history behind ghosts. I love all that stuff. So it's something I definitely poked around at. And there, there's not a, there actually is not a lot of, you know, ghost stuff going on in Salem. Um, it's hard to find there. I get contacted by, you know, cable channels all the time asking me to point them to, like, the spookiest locations, the places where there are definitely spirits. And I can't. There, there's just not that many. Even, uh, I don't know if you saw it a couple weeks ago. There, they had the, the Salem Haunted Live on Travel Channel. Did you yes, catch that? Yes, I did. <laughs> so that's a great example where they had, like, 15 ghost hunters in Salem. And... And they were set in three sites, but one of those sites wasn't even Salem. It was Ipswich. And then all three sites were, were the wrong history. They totally got the wrong history about those sites. None of those sites had anything to do with the witch trials. So they even the producers kind of had to make things up to have kind of that ghost gene. And I think that's because Salem almost doesn't need it. It has such spookiness just even without the – I mean, they have the witches, right? That's kind of paranormal. And they have, you know, really macabre tales. I mean, the Boston Strangler killed there. Um, the witch trials happen there. Uh, Hawthorne is basically considered a horror author these days. So they have uh, enough spookiness that they don't have to kind of access that spirit world. Although that said, you know, I'm sure other people have, have tons of stories, but I couldn't find any that were like not your average run-of-the-mill stories, if that makes sense. No, for sure. Yeah, I, I was kind of waiting for that in the book, that this would be a <laughs> hot spot for every paranormal investigator group, and it, it just never arrived. No, and I took a few paranormal tours, and they really they had good stories, but they really had to reach for those stories uh, and find them elsewhere and kind of draw draw connections. Um, Houdini also did an escape there, so they have some really legit cool stuff. Uh, but the paranormal, for some reason, again, I think it's because it's just a conjecture on my part, but I think it's because they have so much real life macabre that it's kind of it, it gets lost. There's no reason to have those myths and legends when you have those history when your history is just as macabre. So um, it's a it's an interesting phenomenon. I think again, another book could be written about that entire phenomenon. I know I read a few interviews with the guards who would be the security for the different burial grounds and cemeteries. And I know that you interviewed a few as well. And whenever they were asked if something spooky happened, they would start this really scary story about how they saw something or heard something and it was after hours. And it would always just be a trespasser. <laughs> yeah. It would never yeah. be a ghost. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's also a good point is you have to put up with people looking for that experience, right? Kind of like clomping all over everything. Um, they actually had to close down the cemetery this October for the first time in I don't know how long, maybe forever. They actually closed down the old burying point in the middle of town for all of October, which is a really unheard of step for them. Obviously, it's for, um, uh, they're, they're trying to uh, kind of uh, preserve it, obviously, so there's some pres preservation efforts going on, but obviously that they timed it for October is a little suspicious, honestly. It may have been a good move, though. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. That place definitely gets trod upon like crazy. Well, and odds are your trespasser is probably dressed up like a vampire or a ghoul or something. Yeah, that's the thing. It's hard to like, you know, tell a ghost from a person in a ghost costume when they're actually ghost costumes go walking around town. So maybe you're seeing ghosts every day, but they're dressed up in costume. You know, that's, that's the place to go, right? That's exactly where you want to go if you're like a, a ghost and you can want to <laughs> keep a low profile, you know? All right. Well, uh, J.W. Ocker, this was uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, if someone wanted to learn more about your work uh, or get a copy of this book, A Season with the Witch, uh, where can they go? So the book's out everywhere. Um, any bookstore carry it. Amazon has it. 
Or you can go to my website, oddthingsiveseen.com, to learn more about the book and learn more about Salem and see if you still want the book after that. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of my hub. And all my book, you can, you can read about all my books there. Some of my, uh, a lot of my journeys are just written there for free. Um, a lot of articles about weird places I've been. So that's kind of where you'll find me. And from there, you can spider off into whatever you need to. Okay. And any projects in the hopper right now? Oh, tons, tons. Um, so my, my next book comes out this month, actually in about eight days. It's, it's a novel. It's a haunted house novel, actually. Uh, called 12 Nights at Rotter House. That comes out um, October 29th. And then next year, I'm back in the nonfiction world with a book about cursed objects. So that was kind of my next obsession. So that'll be out next fall. I know what I'm reading next. <laughs> <laughs> that one's a fun one. Little, little, little terrifying, but a fun one. That's perfect. Great. All right. Well, um, JW, thank you again. Jennifer, thank you for co-hosting with me today. Thank you both. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with J.W. Oker. If you're interested in his book, Season with the Witch, take a look down in the description of this episode in your podcast app. You'll find a link to the book. And if you're also interested in checking out Jennifer's podcast, Haunted Happenstance, there's a link in the description for that as well. If you want to stay in touch, you can follow the show on Twitter at CMTU History, uh, also on Instagram at CMTU History. With this being the end of the episode, I am very excited to say that we will be getting back to our original every two-week release schedule. So I will see you back here in two weeks on November 5th. See you then.